We are in an information age like never before, and because we are doing work that has eternal significance, we more than anybody should be making use of information and sharpening our objectives and focus. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Esky. And I'm Emily Wilson, and I get to be the interviewer today solely as I am interviewing Reverend Dr. Richard Ousky, co-host is turned interviewee. There we go. So our focus today is on kind of this vision, this internal imperative, as we're calling them. Within Lutheran Bible Translators, we are striving to not only have our mission in, within God's mission, but also a vision that we are casting. So the mission of Lutheran Bible translators officially is to make God's word accessible to those who do not yet have it in the language they understand best. And then the vision that we are looking to cast not only within our organization, but anytime we are meeting with prayer partners or financial partners, uh, international partners. We want to cast a vision of vibrant Christian communities deeply rooted in God's word, engaging fully in God's mission in this generation. And with the More Than Words comprehensive campaign for scripture impact, there is a, a unique tie-in with our mission and our vision. And what does that look like? So missiological imperatives, we met together early first quarter of the year, thinking about what drives us as an organization. What is it that we have made a commitment to? So wanting you to kind of describe that background of where did these missiological imperatives come from? What's that backstory? What's their role? Sure. Yeah. We're trying to unfold from the mission and vision first. So just kind of backing up there a second. And, you know, mission statement for an organization generally tries to encapsulate why does this organization exist? And so um, we exist to make God's word accessible to those who don't have it in a language they understand best. So that's for all time that you could say that. And we've said that in different ways throughout, mm. you know, close to 60 years here. Uh, and that continues to be why we exist. Vision is saying, all right, so in the next five to 10 years, what would be the result of carrying out that mission? What might that look like? And and so what we have landed on just trying to to think about where we're at now and how the church has grown and and some places where the church yet is very new, we want to see movement toward vibrant Christian communities. Mm-hmm. So communities that are thriving and because they're deeply rooted in God's word. Mm-hmm. All right. And this sometimes kind of feels like a process. You're deeply rooted in God's word. You're going to engage fully in God's mission. You're going to get the vision that, hey, this is something great. It's too good for me to keep just for myself. I want to share that with someone else. I want to participate in God's mission. And we added this time-bound factor, even though it's not um, you know, clearly like a particular time, but in this generation is meant to say, let's not say this should take 50 more years or something. We want to see this growing uh, we want to see the church moving toward this and and moving step by step in this generation. A, a, a church that hasn't existed springs up. A church that has existed and has been kind of forming becomes more deeply rooted in God's Word. A church that's been rooted in God's Word is really catching the vision for God's mission. We want to see that growth happening in this generation. Mm-hmm. And so 
as we thought about the in this generation part particularly, if we would see this vision in this generation, we started thinking about things that would need to happen. And first we were like, well, are these strategic priorities? And we're going to say these are things that we're actually going to do. Or is it more like a framework, uh, a lens to say there are many ways we could do this, but we are committed to certain ways of of approaching the tasks and the way that we interface with language communities and the church in this generation. And we feel like in this generation to see that vision, paying attention to these things that we're going to talk about is, is critical. Mm-hmm. So these imperatives really affect every department within Lutheran Bible translators. It's not just a, okay, we're, we're focused on this from a field program side of things right. or operations is focused in, but all parties are involved in that. Right. So those were all part of the discussion of how can this be inclusive? How is this going to drive us? So can you share a little bit about things that you wrestled with as you were formulating like, okay, what are these missiological imperatives? Right. Yeah, we wrestled with how to describe what we are going to do and to make space for creativity and innovation, and yet to say there are certain things that we value and that we have to pay attention to because the current situation and mission requires us to do that and to be sure that we don't think in sort of default ways that may not be helpful in some places. And actually, uh, especially if any of my team is listening, the, the leadership team, they'll know that my biggest struggle is to be able to articulate in the positive sense, because I can very easily say what I don't want to see is this anymore, mm-hmm. but trying to say, okay, so if I don't want to see that, what is it that I do want to see? It's one of the, I think, one of the biggest leadership challenges. I don't know if that's for everybody or just mm-hmm. for somebody with my particular personality, but it's very easy to see. I'm not, I don't want this to keep going on, but okay, so if you don't want that, what is it that you do want? Mm-hmm. That's a whole different thing. And so kind of trying to land on some of those things. And it's not just about what I want, right? Mm -hmm. It's about what do we think really speaks to our values and our ethos and what we can bring to authentic partnerships Mm -hmm. with local language communities and churches. And just as an aside, that kind of reminds me of like lead measures and lag measures of like, okay, this is what didn't work. That's easy to identify, but what casting a vision of what is going to work, this is this is how we are moving forward and casting a vision and knowing and, and leaning and trusting on God that he is going to p- provide as we seek after his will. Yeah, that's a that's a great framework to think about it from. We've kind of thought of a vision. The vision and the vision statement is kind of a lag measure. Mm-hmm. And so the missiological imperative, at least to some degree, are lead measures. Like if you mm-hmm. this is more likely to happen if things like this or within these sorts of frameworks are happening. Mm -hmm. So we're going to walk through each of these missiological imperatives that we have identified internally, but that are affecting external relationships very much so. And uh, I'm going to name them, but then I'm what we really want is for you to unpack them for us. What is the priority, but also where are we headed? How how does this actually play out in reality? So this one is close to my heart. Uh, our first missiological imperative is prayer. And we are committed to persistent, specific, faith-building, and unified prayer. So what does that mean? What does that look like? How is this the strategy for our mission? 
Yeah. In the transition period for leadership last year, I was named to be the next executive director, and then there were uh, several months of transition. And so with about six months to go before that, the transition, we arranged things so that I had time to, to give focused thought to vision and, and thinking things. And I was actually quite a bit later, like late in January, looking over my notes from that first June day where I went to a coffee shop and just had some time thinking in prayer. And the first thing I had written down was, I feel like we need to be an organization that is more focused on prayer than we currently are. And then the next thing I wrote down on the same page was, why do I feel that way? I need to unpack that and think that. And I would say that during the ensuing months, as I thought about other things, I actually didn't come back to that thought very much. But toward the end of the year, the the executive director position of Lutheran Bible Translators has several other relationships and board type things that you do for other not other organizations, but alliances that we're a part of. And so I was on one of those meetings and Greg Pruitt, who's the president of Pioneer Bible Translators, just kind of took me to the side and said, hey, I'd like to talk with you about, uh, as you're a new CEO, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, if I can pray for you. And he handed me a book that uh, had a really great you know, personal message in it. And it just sort of revived that idea of like, yeah, uh, prayer, how do we... And the book was about prayer and just really leaning into what's it look like to to be a more prayerful organization? And the reality is Lutheran Bible Translators has um, has been a, a prayerful organization. We have a longstanding, and actually a lot of folks look at our prayer resources and say, wow, these are really great, and seek to model those. And we have several thousand people that pray every day for some aspect of Lutheran Bible Translators ministry. But just wanted to think about and really unpack if we are setting goals and think that the Lord is calling us to something really big and uh, we're part of an alliance that's trying to be sure that there's some part of God's word in every language in the next 10 years, that's a huge goal yet. And so it becomes clear that putting that before God is really important. And just thinking about prayer itself, Greg's book, which is called Extreme Prayer, by the way, which, okay, if you're a part of the Lutheran audience, could say like, oh, that sounds like something, I don't know, you know, anything extreme, right? But Greg's book, Extreme Prayer, is a great book. It's short, very accessible, and really talks about the, the thing that landed most with me was when we ask God for something and ask him for something specific, small or big, we can see God at work and it builds and increases our faith. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that whether he grants it or not, that idea that we continue to pray and we our will becomes more aligned with God's will. We seek to know what is God's will. And certainly, I think in our organization, the desire to make sure that everybody on the planet has access to God's word mm-hmm. in a, a language to understand, that's in line with God's will. Mm-hmm. But in any aspect of life, praying according to God's will and seeing him work, being specific about it. Our statement here says persistent. Now, you know, we're going to keep asking God to do things even mm-hmm. if we haven't seen it yet. Specific, meaning rather than just saying, Lord, will you bless us or do whatever it is that you want to do? I mean, in a way, that is that is what we want. Yet at the same time, how do we know if that happened? How does our faith build? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we... So praying for specific things and leaning into that faith-building aspect of, of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still... 
I don't know if we, I'd say we're new. We're, we're still leaning into what that looks like and, and as an organization talking that through. And that is something that I really appreciate. All of these missiological imperatives, it doesn't mean that these are brand new to the organization. All right. It is rather, let us grow specifically in this committed area. Right. And yeah, I also read that book, Extreme Prayer by Greg Pruitt, and just really appreciated the refocusing on how this is a conversation that God invites us into. And we have this privilege of bringing all of it to the Lord and uh, that he has promised to draw near to us when we draw near to him and uh, just how that affects every facet of our lives, personal and work related and all of the things that we are trying to shoulder on our own and instead being able to say strategies are wonderful being able to have quarterly goals are wonderful but if we're not bringing that to the lord what is it that we are harvesting Uh, that it is ultimately for his glory and being able to seek after him so all of that being said the missiological imperatives that are to follow there are four of them are all through this lens of prayer. Yes, right. Prayer is the strategy. That's the the other thing as I was writing the first email I wrote to the organization as the new CEO is trying to describe this whole thing of I'd like us to be more prayerful than we are to focus on prayer. And uh, prayer is the strategy was something I had heard in other places. And that's basically just what it felt like. That's what I like. I'm trying to find a different way to say it, but prayer is the strategy. We're going to have a lot of things that we're going to try to accomplish and in certain ways, but we really believe that uh, lifting those up in prayer before the Lord and seeing the Lord work is the way things are going to get done. All right. So we're going to dive into the other four, given this idea that prayer is the strategy, the other missiological imperatives. So the first one here that I've got on my list, radically broaden involvement. We are committed to identifying opportunities for growth and removing unnecessary barriers to mission participation in Bible translation ministry. So that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> Can you unpack that for us? Sure. Yeah. Radically broaden involvement. The The term could be different, I suppose. The, it originates actually in a role that I had prior to becoming executive director working with other Bible translation organizations. And there was a, a conference that we had to just sort of update the movement on where we were operationally uh, toward the goal of of God's Word in every language by 2033. And so it was kind of interesting that the the people that are gathering resources, like the resource gathering is really great. You know, we're way ahead of schedule. And there's so many other things, like technology development's really awesome. And so then I have to stand up and say, we are behind on operationalizing this goal. And just to lay out, like, I don't know how this is going to happen, but if we're going to see this happen, we have to radically broaden involvement, meaning we have to examine assumptions about who does the work and the qualifications required and all the question everything that we have and say, is there anything here that's a, an unnecessary bottleneck to Bible translation work happening that we just sort of assume needs to be that way, but we ask ourselves, is it really is that really the case given where we are today, the emergence of the church and its capacity, the emergence of technology, and even just questioning like some of the categories of work and how we go about those. So where did those originate and why did they originate in that season? Is that still what's happening now or how does that speak to the situation? So yeah, the statement reads, we commit to identifying opportunities for growth and removing unnecessary barriers to mission participation. So just seeing that situation where people could grow 
grow their capacity. And removing unnecessary barriers could be there's a certain level of scholarship or training that's required to really do the job well. Do we have the resources that we can apply in that situation and say, we'd like to see that happen for this group or this cohort of individuals? But removing unnecessary barriers could also look like you know, we've said in the past that maybe to do a certain role, you need a master's degree or a PhD to do that. And then to critically examine and say, is that really the case or not? Because that's a fairly substantial barrier. And if that's not what's really required uh, in this season, then what is? And let's move toward that. And that's not just something we as Lutheran Bible translators do, but encourage uh, our local language communities, churches, and other Alliance Bible mission organizations to consider removing those barriers. And bringing that also into the the global context of, you know, in the U.S., in, in Canada, prayer partners throughout the world, mission participation and Bible translation ministry. Yes, it's in the translation advising and scripture engagement roles, but it's also in the I'm going to be an advocate for Bible translation ministry. I'm going to be a prayer partner. I'm going to be a financial supporter. Radically broadening involvement is including the global church. Yes. So what does that look like as well? Yeah, I think just recognizing Bible ministry has become very technical and specialized in, in all facets, really. And so recognizing that really the availability of Scripture to the church is ultimately the responsibility of the church, and we are here to serve the church in that way. And so, again, then looking at the capacity that's already available and inviting people into prayer. Now, now in the the context here, and I think then in the church in the, the West, the Lutherans that we seek to mobilize to engage in God's mission, we've probably operated with an assumption that the need is well known and that that's not the case, basically. And so there's sort of a a key assumption that if mission is going to happen, of course, God's word needs to be available. And I think sometimes it's just the the situation for what that looks like, especially when you get to the rural and ends of the earth situation is, is much different than we expect. And there's a lot of opportunity yet to grow and to, to put God's word in their hands. And we don't know that. Mm-hmm. Just to talk about in terms of sheer numbers and the the opportunity, and to really encourage the church to say, "Look, uh, for sixty years as Lutherans, we have been making a difference here. We have been seeking to speak into this and actively doing something about it, not just thinking, well, it would be nice, or you know, certainly God's word's valuable, but not really acting on that. But just broadening involvement to be sure that as many people as possible know." There is a way to be involved. We know that Scripture is close to your hearts, especially as uh, Lutheran Christians. And so you, since you've been so impacted by God's Word in your life, in your family, in your church and community, we know you're going to want that for people who don't have it. And as you see or even come to wrestle with the idea that there may be people who can't form their lives around the values of God's Word because they just don't have access to it, mm-hmm. that you're going to want to jump into that and make mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah, we don't want to be a best kept secret, but rather for everyone to know and come together as a church and that God is going to work in and through us in in his time. But that momentum of being able to say, did you know that this is so important and that it is going to be radical? You know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, change on the horizon. How is it that people can more easily get connected with Lutheran Bible translators and share that vision in their communities as well. So the next missiological imperative 
data-informed decisions, we are committed to authentic dialogue informed by data to make decisions in resource mobilization and mission implementation strategy. And what does that mean? Yes, yeah, so a, a couple of things to unpack there. As a international Bible translation organization, Lutheran Bible translators, if I had to boil it down, and this is way oversimplified, but if I had to boil it down, we do two things. We mobilize resources to be used in God's mission, and then we implement in mission. We implement strategy and mission. So is that a definition within a, a definition? It is. Yes, it's using it's using the terms to define themselves. So, yes, okay. but we do we do these things: resource mobilization, mission implementation, strategy. Those are the two highest level things we do. Now, you get underneath all those; those look a lot of different ways and have a lot of nuance to it. But this imperative says, as we do these things in God's mission, we want to be in authentic dialogue with people, but not just based on not only based on our intuition or how we mm. feel, mm-hmm. but with data, mm. that there is a lot of information available in terms of um, any number of things, the language situation, mm-hmm. um, the specifics about where work is or isn't happening and sharpening that information and contributing from all levels of our organization's partnerships and spheres of influence. Um, here's what we know is happening in a certain place. And and so that av- that information is available to others who may be looking for how they can get involved. But more than that, in every individual program or project, we we on a, on an annual basis ask for our partners or somebody who's close to the the program to evaluate a certain set of criteria that just helps us describe how is work being done, not just the technical linguistic components, but also considering the community's involvement. How are things being done? How do we see it? And how might that inform our dialogue? That is a certain set of data. And so at, at all aspects of our organization, we're saying in this season, there is we are in an information age like never before. And because we are doing work that has eternal significance, we more than anybody should be making use of information and sharpening our objectives and focus in the field and also in in resource mobilization what's the what does technology tell us about how we can reach people um, what do trends tell us about where people are at and their affinity to the bible or other sorts of things we have the opportunity to make use of information and in mission and ministry world the biggest contribution we can make i think with that data informed decision making really falls into is disciplined thinking and planning. Mm-hmm. Jim Collins has a book called Good to Great that a lot of folks have heard of that talks about some organizations. It's getting dated now, but some organizations and, and what made them better than average, made them great organizations. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 years later, he wrote a monograph to accompany it that talked about the nonprofit sector and ministry. And the key takeaway from that was nonprofit and ministry sector doesn't need business thinking that's not the thing. It's discipline thinking. And often in ministry, we just go a little bit too much on intuition. And, and there is a thing of like, well, the Holy Spirit's also at work. Mm-hmm. God is at work. We can't measure that. We can't necessarily control it. We want to participate in it. We want to understand it. But we do want to be disciplined and make use of data mm-hmm. and live in that tension of God's at work. And yet he's given us access to all this information and it can inform what we do. 
Right. I love how these missiological imperatives really do have this woven component of we're able to have authentic dialogue based off of these like data-informed decisions. The data is coming and helping us to identify opportunities for growth and for what are those barriers and being able to assess them and remove them. But also like thinking about how data-informed decisions will... (laughs) assist us with the yes and the no. Mm -hmm. Like a conversation that I recently had with Alyssa Petty, our director for development of, you know, we were just assessing like, okay, what is our opportunity here? Where can we best uh, use our resources that we have been gifted to be able to, to reach out? We're, we're very interested in radically broadening involvement with our prayer and financial support. And yet being able to say yes to this opportunity and no to another and practicing wisdom and good stewardship. So really being able to have that, uh, that balance, uh, helping to also say like, okay, what, some of this is qualitative data, right? And thinking about Ishni Vite sharing about like the adult learning strategy. And this is maybe contrary to the intuition of previous, you know, programs or, or projects. And yet this is proving to be fruitful. That is a data informed dialogue of how is it that we can continue to grow and remove barriers for conversation to continue happening. So one of the other missiological imperatives, again, this is very much tied in with the previous three, is mission-driven funding. And we are committed to developing and cultivating a resource mobilization strategy that is focused on ministry outcomes. So can you share a little bit of what does that mean? Yeah, the last one, data-informed decisions, this one and the next one really, in a sense, are they sharpen radically broaden involvement because when you have a an imperative or a priority however you want to call it that that says you're going to broaden involvement and it just sort of leaves it at that that's just wide open and you could go about it any number of different ways and so data informed decisions sort of sort of says we want to broaden involvement but we want to use this further lens mission driven funding is is the same way that we want a resource mobilization strategy that focuses on what will be accomplished what the goal and objective is and creating vision and passion for achieving that objective there are other ways that you can you can drive your funding. Some mission strategy drives funding based on who is doing it and and really leaning into that. And some just on more general or broadly, a sort of need, you know, nobody can disagree with that. The gospel must be proclaimed, for example, as a, that is a, a mission driven funding, but we wanted to lean into more specific. We're working in these particular language communities with these particular partners and these particular churches to accomplish these particular goals in these particular time frames and to ask people to participate based on the understanding that there's a plan, there's passion and vision and specific people that are working toward those things and asking their involvement there. And sometimes, you know, there's a a concern that if you say to somebody, we're going to accomplish this thing in this amount of time and it's this cost and then you don't do that, then people are going to say, you know, we're going to not give, you know, and I suppose anything is possible. But what we have found is that the credibility we have in saying 
we believe that this is what's attainable in this time frame in this place. And then to be able to go back and say situation changed and it looks more like this, the credibility that we have with folks that have resources to give, um, that honesty and transparency just has resulted in in more effective and more passionate giving. And we want to lean into that more. So I really see a component of accountability and, mm-hmm. and stewardship, but also that ability to pivot. There are so many things, you know, in a post-COVID world, we, we always look back of like, what are our anticipated needs and how that shifted? But being able to say, okay, this is what the data is saying. Mm-hmm. This is what our information in our conversations and our dialogue inter-organizationally is saying. And how can we continue to grow and, and to remove those barriers? And at the heart of that mission-driven funding is the desire to be the best stewards that we can be of God's resources and the gifts that he has given us. And so this next missiological imperative, our final one, is alignment with the church. And it says that we are committed to fostering interdependent mission partnership domestically and internationally by understanding and valuing the mission objectives of our partners. What does that mean? So... Yeah, I alluded earlier that Bible translation ministry over the decades developed as a pretty professional and independent type of ministry connected with the church, but not necessarily thinking about being driven from the church. And there, there's actually quite a bit of more recent study and scholarship that gets into some of the dynamics that that creates that makes it difficult for church involvement. And I'm not really meaning to go there right now, but what two things come to mind. One, in the fields where there are still language communities awaiting access to God's Word, on one hand, and as a Bible translation insider, we would think, why isn't the local church all over this? You know, why is there a difference or a, a separation sometimes? And there's a great article by Wayne Dye. It's actually 30 years old, but still could just be, it could have been written last week, that invites us to consider churches that are growing in any place in the world have a certain set of values that are important to them. And we should understand what those are and make it so that our ministry is aligning with that or that we're in dialogue with that instead of just assuming what we do is obviously the answer to everybody's need okay and so some examples of that would be pastors are very important are very interested in that their people come to church and that they can be taught the bible so that the pastors have resources they need to teach bible translation ministry over the decades sort of assumed the objective was to put a Bible in every individual's hands, and that would solve a problem. And those things aren't quite the same thing, and they are mut- they're not mutually exclusive either. But if we understand the church values this, but we're saying we do this, is there a way to meet in the middle somehow and create a work and product strategy that, that meets the church's need while ultimately resulting in God's Word in every hand, right? So it's just, is, is it a major revolutionary change? No, but 
is it understanding the church has values and we shouldn't just assume we know what they are. We should definitely do that. Also domestically, as a mission organization, yeah, I mean, I've been with pastor friends who will sort of joke like, well, don't get, don't just get along with Rich because ultimately he's going to ask you for money for his ministry. So that's what, you know, that's what ministries like his do. And that's sort of like, that's what the church relationship to a ministry like ours is. And that's just not the case and doesn't need to be the case. We would like to also understand the values and needs of our partner churches here domestically in places where, look, the church is encountering multicultural situations, immigrant populations. We have skill and, and experience in those situations that could really speak into the life of the church. The church is wrestling with loss of of deep scripture engagement by her members, we potentially have ways to speak into that, whether it's us directly or in partnership with others. And so we really want to commit in this season to alignment with the church in all places and understanding how we present ourselves as someone who can help and be in ministry, not just take, but also to give. So we have this interdependent way of working. Really, I, I see it as, as the church as followers of Christ, we are called to live boldly and scarcity mentality that can flood in for each of these with prayer, radically broadening involvement, data-informed decisions, mission-driven funding, alignment with the church. This could very easily look like, you know, a Goliath that is, you know, we, we couldn't possibly tackle. But being able to say that God is abundant in his blessings that he has generously given, that that alignment with the church, that we don't have to live in an either or paradigm, but rather a both and. How is it that as the body of Christ, if you're not an eye, (laughs) but you're a hand that you can still be active and involved and uh, building one another up, that the hand is helping out the eye and the eye is helping out the hand and this interdependent mission partnership. We both have something to bring to the table and to be able to grow from one another and to live in this renewing and refreshing gentle partnership of being able to grow together and uh, that more people would hear the good news of the gospel. So it's really just a a beautiful opportunity to be able to say, how is it that God has called us into his mission? And how is it that we can grow together? So these five missiological imperatives, prayer, radically broadening involvement, data-informed decisions, mission-driven funding, alignment with the church, what does that exactly mean as we're thinking about the vision of vibrant Christian communities deeply rooted in God's word, engaging fully in God's mission in this generation. What does this mean for our listeners, our, our prayer partners to be able to, to go forward? What would you say to them? Yeah, I'd start where we started, which is the strategy is prayer. That That's None of this happens without calling upon the Lord, growing in faith, and trusting that He's going to provide. We're not out here to to implement an agenda that is from us, but we are seeking to understand God's will and participate in His mission. That's one of the great gifts that He gives to all people. God, in His infinite wisdom, has decided that the way He will 
make his name great in all the ends of the earth is by involving people to do it. And he has all kinds of other options at his disposal. But see, God is so invested in humanity and his deep love for us that he says, look, I want you to experience this as well. To experience, even in just some small measure, the joy that I experience when someone comes to know me and is reconciled to me. I actually want to invite you to be part of that in some way. And so that's the invitation available to anyone listening, is to participate in God's mission uh, prayer is the strategy. The other, the other missiological imperatives really flow out of that, and just our way of saying, in this season, whatever we're thinking, speaking, doing, we want to pay attention to those other aspects as well, and say, like, are we are we leading into that value, or are we doing something that's not quite that, and thus isn't as sharp as it could be? Um, but really, it all comes back to prayer and to that opportunity to participate in God's mission to to look and discern where God's at work and to be on that path with him and walk with him. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of those missiological imperatives and how it is that it's going to transform us as an organization, but also the Bible translation movement. And we do encourage you all to be keeping us in prayer. And we are so thankful for uh, your steadfastness in walking alongside us in the Bible translation movement. That's right. And uh, we'd love, if you are not part of our current community of people praying for Lutheran Bible translators and the Bible translation movement, it is really easy to get involved in that. You just go to go.lbt.org. And if you haven't been there recently, just a pop-up's going to pop up saying, would you like to pray? And you can fill out that form and you will be subscribed to receive a set of emails or you can get it in print. But we'd love for you to join the expanding group of folks that are taking time every day to pray for God's mission in Bible translation ministry. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Radowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Radowski. So long for now. <laughs>